listening to the SLCC podcast series What's on the Agenda. Each episode brings you content created especially for clerks. The shows include question and answer sessions with sector experts, special guests and much more. Learn more about our podcasts by visiting us at slcc.co.uk slash podcasts. Hello, I'm Shelley Parker again, and we're here at the Practitioners Conference, and today I'm talking to Karen Ainley, and Karen is the lead trainer and CEO of Mosaic Media Training. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much. And can you tell me a little bit more about your quite exciting background? (laughs) Well, when it comes to crisis communications, I've done a lot of that over the last 22 years of running Mosaic, which is both a PR and digital marketing agency, and it's also a training organisation. But before that, I was a journalist, so I cut my teeth in newspapers in Essex before moving to the BBC, and I had a lovely career working first in radio and then in television. So I've been on both sides of it. I've been there trying to do the story, trying to get the good sound bites and quotes out of people, but also trying to protect people's reputations, because that's really what crisis communications is all about. Yes, in fact, during the presentation that you're going to be giving later, there's a fabulous quote that you you give, and uh, let me let me make it here. It's it takes twenty years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think like that, you'll do things differently. That is from Warren Buffett, an amazing philanthropist in America, and it is so true because many organizations spend such a long time trying to build a great reputation and it only takes one terrible terrible thing it could be a disaster to actually break or ruin that reputation but in truth it's how you manage that incident and it's how you manage the communications that sit around it i think a lot of people panic and they think i tell you what we're going to say nothing let's just bury our heads in the sand let's just go away let's Do nothing, let's tell nobody. Because if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. It's not really there. Unfortunately, the media will find out. So that's my number one top tip to all local clerks is, first of all, you're not on your own, but whatever you do, don't try to bury something. It may be that the story doesn't come out, but you need to have a plan for just in case. So could you give us some tips about how to start making that plan? Yes, absolutely. The first thing is that you need to have a team around you of the key people. And if you're the clerk, that might well be the chairman, it might well be other councillors, but also it could well be other professionals. It could be a lawyer, it could be the police or emergency services, it could be others in other local councils, other places. But don't think that you have to do everything on your own. I think the other place to turn to is the SLCC, because clearly it's going to be very important that you're there to be able to help guide and advise when people are really struggling. But that is my number one tip is you're not on your own. Don't panic. Really think about taking control. And by that, I mean, making sure you understand exactly what the story is. And the first thing we ask is that you prepare a standby statement. And what what sort of cases do you think that councils, particularly small local councils, might come across? Have you got some examples? My goodness, there are so many, but the ones that I've been seeing on the internet, a lot of them actually focus on bullying. And of course, that is incredibly damaging, whether it's a member of the public coming in and shouting the odds at the clerk, or whether it's other councillors who are bullying the clerk. And we've seen cases, and I have a couple of examples of that. And it can be quite damaging from a reputational point of view. You might not think it's a crisis, 
But when you can't then get anyone to step forward to be a parish councillor because they say, no, that councillor is not for me, it's frightening, it's toxic, it's, you know, the people there are not willing to support me in the right way. That is then dangerous because you're going to get into a situation where you've got parish councils that don't have anyone there to hold the reins. And ultimately, that's what the clerks do. And then that's what will fall to the clerk. And it's, it's fairly terrifying, isn't it, to think that something could go wrong and you're on your own. You have no experience in dealing with it and you need a statement or some guidance about it. Yeah. Um, what sort of what sort of things would be included in a statement? It's quite short, I guess. Yeah, a statement is usually very short. And the word standby statement is there for the just in case. So what you want is to be ready if the media come calling. You don't want to be flapping around at the last minute because that would be horrendous and it won't come out right. So a standby statement might be just an acknowledgement of the facts. Sometimes it's about showing empathy. Sometimes it's about showing what action you're taking. It's acknowledging the situation, bridging to what you want to talk about and then communicating those facts. So we we have an ABC there. But the most important thing is that you are prepared. That lovely old adage I say in all my training courses, fail to prepare equals prepare to fail. If you are prepared, then when the media come knocking at your door, you're ready, you know what to say rather than running around like a headless chicken. Do you think on a local level, it's a good idea to build those links up with the local press? I know local press aren't aren't what they used to be, um, but do you think that's really quite important to know who to talk to and who to try to influence? You make such a brilliant point there. I remember when I was a young journalist, I spent a lot of time in parish council meetings and it just doesn't happen today because they haven't got the staff. Unfortunately, the last 20 years have seen newsrooms really scale down dramatically. And that's not just in newspapers. It's also in radio and in television. But we have something now called a local democracy reporter that's often shared and turns up in various places if there's a a big enough story. Building those relationships is crucial because being able to pick up the phone when times are good and you've got great stories to tell, it makes it so much easier when there is a bad story that then happens. And someone once said to me in a training course, Is that like building up a positivity bank? And I said, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm going to steal that forever and a day. You need to do that. You need to have a great relationship full of positive stories because if anything does then happen, you've got something to to mitigate. You've got a relationship there and it's just so much easier. Yeah. Should we work through an example? Um, For example, perhaps an event was organised. Christmas lights were going to be switched on. The main act has failed to turn up. How would we deal with something like that with the media? How would we get the message across? (laughs) Is this before the event or after the event? (laughs) Five minutes before, let's say. Oh, this sounds very real. (laughs) Well, obviously, um, it's probably too late to actually warn people if it's only five minutes beforehand. But there will be some fallout because there'll be huge disappointment. There'll be a lot of upset people. And the first thing the media will want to do is to talk to all those people that have been devastated by the fact that this didn't go ahead especially at Christmas. You know, it's a time when we want things to be nice and warm and people to feel loved. And if you've taken your family out and you've got young children and they're standing there expectantly and then your guest doesn't show up, well, that that can be really, really upsetting. But you have to show empathy. So you don't ride roughshod over people's feelings. You just have to say we're extremely sorry that due to incredibly unfortunate circumstances, our guest was unable to turn up. We tried everything we could to find a replacement at the last minute, but we just didn't have time. We were able to rely on a small child, just five years old, who we asked to push the button instead to light up 
our lovely high street. And we were absolutely thrilled that it went ahead as normal. And that's working with the community, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So that's just an example. I wasn't there, but that's just off the top of my head. You've just got to try and find a way to mitigate because who's going to turn around and say, well, I wanted someone from Love Island when actually a five-year-old Tommy has lit up the high street instead. I know who I'd prefer. Um, and do you think having these notes pre-prepared are a good idea, that you can you can mend so you've got something sort of <laughs> off the shelf, or is everything unique? It's interesting you say that, because a lot of people will say to me when I write their crisis comms plans, can we have a load of prepared statements? And I will say, I will do them for you, but they will never be used in the way that you think they're going to be used, because every situation is unique. You're always starting from scratch, looking at what's happened, why it's happened. You need to know all the facts that a journalist will ask. We go through what we call the five W's and everyone says it differently. The what, the where, the when, the why, the who, and of course the how. And as long as you're addressing that and putting the facts together, then you'll have something by way of a statement to present to the media. You may even decide to do interviews, but again, make sure you know exactly what the questions are likely to be before you actually do that interview. Um, They might not tell you everything, but the most important thing is be careful what you say because you could be on the record about something that you've let slip that you really didn't mean to. And just remember, there may be lawyers listening or watching. So always be careful. If you plan things to the nth degree beforehand, then it will be absolutely fine. And in my experience of doing this for 35 years, can you believe, I can tell you that most organisations, when they have a crisis, if they handle it well, within a few weeks, they're back on track and everything is more or less back to normal. The danger side is that we have Google, we have obviously other ways of checking things. And unfortunately, those incidents will live on in people's memories and people will search. And that is, again, why it's important to get all that positive news out there to then counteract all the bad stuff that's been happening. And we've been mainly talking about the written statements, haven't we? But of course, our councillors and clerks are often faced with cameras or, or, or microphones. Do you think that training is quite important for something like crisis management? You can't beat having some training before the event. One of the things that people have to deal with is nerves. And one of the reasons people are nervous or unconfident is because they've never experienced it. They don't know what it's like to have a microphone put in their face. However... If you can just think that you're not talking to the journalist, you're talking through the journalist to, we call a lady who's the listener, Madge. She's actually our imaginary listener or viewer. If you think that you're talking to Madge, you use the media as an intermediary and the word media just sits in the middle of that intermediary. And if you can get your information through to that individual, then you're doing a great job. You need to speak in short, well-rounded answers that have a beginning, a middle and an end, a sound bite. It's a bit technical. The reason for that is because we often want to take an answer out of a longer interview to run in our news bulletins at, say, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. So there's a bit of an art form to doing it right, which is why training always, always comes in handy. Another sideline in all of this is this new Martin's Law, which, of course, is all about events. Naomi, I know that you have a bit of background on that. Yeah, just before going on to Martin's Law, Karen, I wondered if We were talking earlier about protecting and defending the reputation of individuals and organisations and how to respond to the media. I wonder if you have any advice for our listeners on dealing with social media. There's a lot of sort of scrutiny, 
personal attacks against, you know, clerks or counsellors or the council as a whole, keyboard warriors. Any advice on how to respond to that sort of crisis communication and, and what clerks can do to handle that? I do. I have lots of experience here because I run a training course for local authorities up and down the country particularly for counsellors on social media and also being married to a counsellor. I'm very aware of the abuse that is often levelled at him, uh, depending on which portfolio he's got at the time. And often it's very, very unfair. But one of the most important things is don't rise to the bait because once you start, they won't stop. And occasionally there will be times when someone else needs to jump in and champion your cause. If something is completely incorrect, don't let it lie Don't let it sit there so that everyone thinks that you have done something that you haven't done. Don't be afraid to challenge, but don't get drawn into it. And again, if you need advice, there will be lots of people around who will be able to help, particularly on the legal side of things. If someone has defamed you in any way, shape or form, you'll want to take action. And just don't worry too much because, you know, in many cases, there won't be lots of people who've seen those comments. But also don't feel like it's okay to be got at because it isn't. And I would love to see legislation. I would love to see something come in that steps up to really support everybody, councillors, council officers, right across the country, because I think there's just far too much abuse and people have been getting away with it for far too long. Thank you. So, yeah, Shelley mentioned Martin's Law, which is a new piece of legislation that's coming in following... Um, the tragic death of the individuals following Ariana Grande's concert in Manchester. And it's a law that's aimed to really try and protect communities, groups of people getting together. So hopefully preventing further instances like this from happening, but really dealing with those, you know, crisis as well. Thinking particularly about um, our members and some of the instances they've been through, We've had uh, Novichok in Salisbury. We had um, Sir David Amos in Leon C. I know those members, clerks, were suddenly really thrown into the spotlight and really, in a heartbeat, had the world's media at their doorsteps. Again, asking for practical advice and tips on if you are that clerk who suddenly is in the spotlight. Center stage. Yeah, press (laughs) at your door. Mm. You, you may even have undergone the training, you know, you've followed the, the advice that's come out from the Martin's Law. You've got that extra security in place for events, but, but still, how do you deal with that, that crisis comms? It's an interesting question because the thing about a crisis, the very name, the very word, it's something that comes left field. You don't expect it. You can't see it coming. You never know that something like that, and a particularly terrible tragedy, Grenfell being another example, is going to happen. And some of these things, when it comes out afterwards, actually, you could have potentially foretold that something like that could have been a disaster waiting to happen. The role of a clerk in something like that is to show great empathy and to show great understanding about what's happened. What the media are doing is trying to find different voices. They're looking for lots of people to talk about incidents and issues, and they'll be one of many voices talking about it. It may be that any police who are dealing with the matter might say, actually, could you not talk about it? Um, we need you to be careful. We, we, you know, There may be evidence involved in things. So you have to really look at every situation 
on its own merit. Every single circumstance is completely different. And I go back to what I said right from the beginning, is that you're not on your own. You must take advice. Don't wade in with whatever comes off the top of your head thinking, yes, isn't it disgusting that this didn't happen and I warned them of this and they should have done that and so on. Because the minute that you do something like that and give opinion, you're walking into an absolute minefield. So my advice is, as a clerk, you know, the expectation is people will come to you for facts and information. Councillors will give their opinions, no doubt. That's up to them to do that. But as the local clerk with a position of responsibility is therefore very important. It's absolutely vital that you pick your words very, very carefully in situations like that. But ultimately, we're all human. And so we have to show our human side. You just sort of picked up on something which I was going to ask you about. So you mentioned earlier, talking, Shelley said, you know, ideally, clerks will have a good rapport with their local journalists, you're telling them the good news stories so it's not they're not just on your doorstep if something terrible happens. I think clerks might sometimes be a bit suspicious of the press in that they have their own agenda. They've got their own copy that they want to sell or their story that they want to get across. Um, so again, what advice might you give to clerks in trying to gauge what the journalist's agenda might be and how to work with them on that so that they're getting their story, but they're also respecting what's happening and, and, you know, the council's business too. Mm. So the journalists are just doing one thing, and that's their job. And the other thing to remember is that the journalists are not your friend. So therefore, if you can facilitate them to do their job properly by giving them the information that they need or pointing them in the right direction, then you're doing a great job. Now, I've got horror stories I could write a whole book about where people have let their guard down with journalists and they think everything's, oh, it's off the record. We were just having a cup of coffee. That wasn't, you know, something that I expected them to report. And then suddenly they see it in print. So you do have to be guarded about what you say. But ultimately, what we're looking for is if there's been an interesting story on the council agenda, what was the outcome? And ultimately, as a journalist, we're going to go to councillors to find out what they had to say about it. And usually both sides of the fence, literally, because what we want is not propaganda. We're looking for a news story. We're looking for different voices to tell their story, to give their reaction, their views. So if you are there giving basic information, maybe you're sending a summary of what was said in that council meeting to make it easy for the journalists, those particularly who weren't able to attend, then I'd say that that is a good job in terms of democracy. You're helping the local community understand what's happening on their doorstep. Thank you. That's really helpful. I, I feel a couple of guidance notes coming on as we speak. So, Karen, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. And everybody's looking forward to your presentation. Thank you.